it gets important. You know, for us as Christians to wake up Sunday morning and realize, wow, God's, looks like God's going to give us a whole nother week here, which is a blessing, right? And uh, the idea is we worship in a special way the resurrection of Christ on Sunday, because that's the day of the resurrection. And then the first significant thing we do on the first day of every week, if at all possible, is to assemble with believers of like mind and practice to celebrate the resurrection and to embrace the pogs of the local church. And let's think about the purpose, objectives, and goals today of Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. Let's start by reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, foundational gifts, and some as evangelists and some as pastor-teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the believers, if you're a believer, put your name in the blank there, Ben Harrington or Deborah uh, Smith or Brad McCoy, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, the epinosis, the complete knowledge, not just head knowledge, but experiential knowledge, and we're living it out, of the Son of God to a mature person, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be spiritual, immature, spiritually immature, to be children tossed here and there by we, by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, you hear preachers talk about speaking the truth in love a lot, and we get that from this passage. Speaking the truth in love, which means sometimes you got to give some you know, tough love. We are to grow up, become mature in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together by which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. So we're all necessary and needed in the body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We're going to look at the, the POGS of TBF, and that's an acronym for our one purpose, based on Matthew 28, our two broad objectives, edification when the church is gathered, so we can do evangelization when the church is scattered throughout the week. And then the G stands for goals, or really basic functions. We get that from Acts 2, Bible study, fellowship, worship, prayer, evangelism, world missions. But before we look at that content and get an exhortation from the present pastor, uh, let's pray for uh, our teachability to that truth and also to for our uh, firefighters, our peace officers, and our active military members. And, uh, and Michael Birch, if you would pray for us in that direction, okay? Thank you, Michael. Uh, let me remind you that uh, after the teaching time today and a short fellowship break, we're going to listen to Angie and Shauna talk about their uh, mission trip to Uganda. And boy, you look at a globe and you look at Uganda, it's an amazing thing just to get there, much less to minister there. But, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Team Tanglewood today and kind of what the big picture is. And, you know, uh, the uh, Bill Belichick back in spring training would have told the team uh, right before the first uh, practice that, you know, our goal isn't just to get to the preseason, isn't just to win a few games, it's to get to the playoffs, win the Super Bowl. And they're very much in position to do that now. And every team thinks like that. And I think uh, it helps for us to think of our church as a team. Good churches are like good teams, which brings me to a, kind of an oldie but goldie uh, that you may have seen before, but football terms that have special meanings at TBF. Illegal motion would be when a TBFer goes home right after the call to worship. That's illegal motion. You're supposed to stay here longer than that. Interference is when TBFers break in line at the coffee pot. That would be interference. Illegal use of the hands when TBFers applaud during first hour teaching time, but only because the batteries in my mic have gone out and they can't hear me anymore. Draft choice. A, a decision some TB ever make in August to sit directly under one of the AC vents. That would be a draft choice. It's hot outside, yeah? 
end around what Emily Wilkinson and TBF nursery workers often do when changing dirty diapers. It's the old end around. Yeah. The two-minute warning. When the entire elder board frowns at Pastor Brad after Sunday teaching time has run for more than an hour. That would be the two-minute warning. Extra point, what Pastor Brad crams into the end of his messages even after receiving the two-minute warning. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to enjoy uh, listening to Shauna and Angie uh, share about the mission trip today. So uh, please, if at all possible, make the effort to stay for a second hour and be edified from that. We're going to start here. You know, uh, somebody once said that there's three kinds of people in the world, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what's happening, right? And uh, we don't want anybody to be wondering what's happening around here. So we're going to look at the purpose, objectives, and goals of the church uh, by asking and answering three basic questions. Number one, who are we? Number two, what are we doing or trying to do? And then three, how do we do what we're doing? And let me start with two disclaimers that very few pastors nowadays will tell you because they'd probably get fired by their board if they did. But this church uh, is not the only good church in town. There's a lot of good churches in Duncan. Uh, we're not even the best church for everybody in town. You know, I wish I could say it's the only good church. In, I don't wish I could say that, but I do wish... I could say we're the best church for everybody in town. It's just not true. Don't believe that. Don't operate under that premise. Uh, and that's because, and it's important sometimes for us to remind ourselves, God's purpose and program for Duncan, much less for the world, is a lot bigger than TBF. But I do think we're kind of like God's maybe seven iron in his bag of, uh, we could say bag of tricks, but his bag of clubs in his capital C church in Duncan. And you've seen this graphic many times, but uh, I think God likes the way his church looks like. Now, I'm so old, we used to have this thing called uh, Spirograph. Anybody old enough remember Spirograph? That was a big toy one Christmas. Now, Ben's an artist, so he didn't need Spirograph. But those of us with no talent, you'd buy these revolving, interlocking plastic discs, and you could put your pencil in a little hole and get all these incredible designs. And so that looks like a Spirograph to me, but... And we make the, the cross and the resurrection real small there so we can retain the overall graphic. So I apologize for that. But as we often say, Assembly of God folks that trust Christ uh, are part of God's capital C church. And, and they probably wouldn't be comfortable here because they've got some different opinions about some secondary issues that are important. Uh, Methodist believers are there. Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, Church of the Nazarene believers, Presbyterian believers, Lutheran believers, and us and lots of other groups. You'll make up God's capital C church, and that's worldwide and local too. And so for any one church, local church, to think they've got to do the whole thing is just, it's not biblical, and it's just not going to work very well anyway. You've got to realize God's got bigger plans than just for us. But I do think he very clearly outlines what he wants local churches to look like, and I think we've tried, at least in theory, to embrace that. So let's look at our first question there. Who are we as we think about the purpose, objectives, and goals of the church? And I would say, you know, my answer to that, because people do ask me that as the pastor, and I'll bump into people and say, well, I've heard of First Baptist Church, but what's Tanglewood Bible Fellowship Church? And I say something like this, well, TBF is a group of believers from a wide variety of denominational backgrounds united by our faith in Christ and a desire to grow and reproduce spiritually, especially by focusing on some key things like Bible study, Fellowship, worship, prayer, evangelism, and world missions. That's that's kind of the, the essence, I think, of what we're trying to do. And as we say, we're a group of believers. You're not saved by going to church. As somebody once said, and, and typically when a Dallas seminary person says, somebody once said, they're really saying Howard Hendricks said many times. <laughs> that's usually where we get most of our good stuff. Uh, uh, when we say believers, we don't just mean church members, because going to church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian any more than going into a kitchen makes you a cook or going into a garage makes you a car. We're not saved by church attendance. We're saved because God loved the world so much, full of sinners, GIs, guilty, with an inability to save ourselves, that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus says, leading up to that, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes will have eternal life. And the plan is God the Father, as the uh, as the architect 
of the plan of salvation, loved the world so much he gave his son, and his son loved the world so much he was willing to leave uh, his place in heaven and take on humanity and be the Savior, that whosoever believeth in him, and the Greek text says all of the ones who believe in him, literally, shall not perish like a fire future, but have right now eternal life. And we show you this graphic, and it's funny, that graphic is from The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson film. And for obvious reasons, we don't show some of the more bloodier uh, graphics, although we have kind of sanitized the cross because we're so comfortable talking about it, we forget how horrific it really was. But the bottom line of the death of Christ is because he died for our sins and paid for our sins. We don't have to die in our sins. And that's unique. I've, I've studied the major religions and taught the major religions now at a college level multiple times. There's nothing like this in the world religions uh, and then we have a risen Christ, a risen Savior, a dead Savior, uh, can teach us some principles like Buddha. And a lot of the principles he teaches are fine. You know, they're, they're good psychology. Not necessarily great theology, but a uh, dead teacher can teach you principles. I mean, if you've got some of his stuff written down. But uh, a dead Savior can't get you from Oklahoma to heaven. And that's that's kind of the bottom line. The, the God of Christianity is real. And the Savior Christianity offers you life after you die. And whether you live to be 109 or, or something less than that, uh, short of the rapture, we're all going, there's no way to get out of here alive, you know. So uh, the risen Christ is, in fact, the issue and the issuer of eternal life. So he says stuff like this, and nobody else says stuff like this and then backs it up. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the basis of resurrection, base of eternal life. The one who believes in me will live even when he dies. He doesn't say you're not going to die. He doesn't say you're not going to get sick and die. He says when you die, if you're a believer, your, your spirit's going to go to a place of blessing. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never really die. And then he says, do you believe this? I mean, that's a mouthful. Nobody else says anything else like that. Uh, talking about Romans, I like Romans 4, 5. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. So, you know, that's who we are. We're believers in Jesus Christ from a lot of different denominational backgrounds. If we had more time, I'd say, you know, we ought to, we ought to make a list at some point, uh, of all the denominational backgrounds that we represent. But if you do that, then you kind of brag about it or get proud about it. So maybe it's not a good idea. But well, trust me, we've got a lot of different denominational backgrounds out there. That's kind of who we are. Now, what are we, what are we doing? Or at least what are we trying to do? Well, that's where the pogs come in, right? One purpose, two objectives, and, and five functions. Uh, and I think maybe we could start by reading the mission statement, which is, uh, Michael, let me have that bulletin. You know, I always say we have the secret mission statement here on the front of the bulletin every week so nobody can see it. But uh, the mission of the church is, despite the fallibilities of uh, the pastoral staff, is to glorify God, not to promote my career or James's career, by actively participating in the ongoing fulfillment of the Great Commission. At one level, you might think, man, a little church like this on this corner, you know, nobody knows about is fulfilling the Great Commission. Ask Angie and Shauna about that. Going to all the world. Although this is our mission field. You know, when you walk through the door every Sunday or Wednesday, you're going to the mission field. That's uh, Duncan Regional Hospital, Cameron University, Duncan Public Schools, uh, uh, a water class at Simmons Center. It's just as much a, a mission field as is Uganda. But when you see people go to Uganda to serve the Lord, you say, well, yeah, you know what? We do make a, a dent in that. We're not going to fulfill the Great Commission ourselves, and no group, not even the Southern Baptist Convention, is going to fulfill the Great Commission. We contribute to the ongoing fulfillment of it and happy to be able to do so. As a body of believers who collectively and individually serve, not Pastor Brad or the Elder Board, but our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and one another. And a lot of that's spontaneous. It's not necessarily structured. just kind of real. Functioning as a spiritual greenhouse that by our interactions we're catalyzed to grow and reproduce spiritually. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the essence of what we're trying to do in a statement. But let's break this down. Look at Matthew 28 because the purpose, uh, not the purpose statement I just read, but the general purpose of the church uh, goes back to Matthew 28. Okay, And if you look at that, I can remember memorizing this uh, in the King James as a young young boy at uh, Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. 
to be exact, but uh, you read it, and it's, it's, it's really exciting when you see J- Jesus saying all this and realizing it relates to us, but um, the exact dynamics of what he's saying sometimes is lost in English translation. He says, I'm looking at New American Standard Bible here, go therefore, the Lord says, and make, this is the, the risen Christ, this prior to the ascension. Go therefore, he says, and make disciples of all the nations. I always say the surprise ending of the most Jewish gospel is uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, is the Savior of the world. Even the Gentiles are part of this party, right? Uh, go in all the world. Uh, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them that believe, after you've gone to them with the gospel, in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, uh, one reality in three persons. Teaching them, baptized believers have identified visibly with Christ and his body to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you read that and say, that's a lot of cool stuff, but when you analyze it under the spiritual x-ray machine, you find out there's only one command there's only one imperative. There's only one command, one order in the Great Commission. You know what it is? Make disciples. That's the only thing it commands you to do. All that other stuff with the NIG, going, preaching, baptizing, all that stuff, those are participles. Participles are verbal adjectives. They modify the action of the verb. So make disciples by going with the gospel. The parallel passage in Mark makes that clear. That's what he's talking about there. Then when people believe, have them identify with Christ and his church, like a wedding ring. You don't have to wear a ring to be married. And if somebody wears this, they're not married to me or dead or anybody else necessarily. But uh, baptism identifies us publicly with Christ and then uh, teach the baptized believer. So we've got evangelization. We've got identification. We've got edification. And that's where we see our purpose. You know, the purpose of this thing is not to make disciples of Brad or James or Dale or Homer uh, there was a fad back when I was, uh, let's see, that would have been between dental school and seminary. And I'm just going to my church, you know, every Sunday and Wednesday, uh, selling scientific instruments by the guy who would 30 years later start a group called Zion's Volunteers, if you can believe that. But uh, yeah, and I remember there's this fad going through evangelicalism that every Christian was supposed to have his own pet science project. You were supposed to, you were supposed to disciple one other person and make them just like you. And I always thought, what a revolting thought. <laughs> Why would anybody be like me? <laughs> you know? I mean, we're not making disciples of Brad or Ben or Meg or Debbie. We're making disciples of Jesus. And we're all part of the process and hopefully contributing to each other. Uh, that, that's important to emphasize, I think. So that's the purpose. Make disciples of Jesus. And a lot of other churches are doing that just as well or better than we are. Uh, Objectives. What are our objectives? We read the Ephesians passage uh, a moment ago. But when you look at that, uh, it's really talking about the dynamics of when the church is gathered, we're supposed to be edifying one another. You know, speaking the truth in love, you know, promoting love and good works kind of thing. And the idea is God gives all of us with some gift we can use to contribute to the team. He highlights some major ones, apostles, prophets, foundational gifts, evangelists, and pastor teachers. But we're to equip the saints. The saints aren't some special category of super-Christian. Every believer is a saint. Such that, in that sense, that all of us are doing the work of the service. And the work of service for you might not be a singing or something up front, but it might just be pulling somebody aside and encouraging them consistently and praying for them, that kind of thing. And that's what builds up the body. So the idea is... Uh, rather than just hiring a couple of professional Christians to do all the work, you guys don't think like that, but some churches do, trust me, uh, we're to be kind of facilitators, and we're supposed to be involved as player coaches ourselves from the heart, but everybody's got a place to play. It's just like a football team or a, a baseball team or a basketball team. I mean, you wouldn't have a, a seven-foot-two-inch guy who can't dribble. You'd never have him play point guard. But he might be a whale of a good contributor, you know, in uh, getting rebounds, right? Those, those are things he can do. Uh, the short guy who can dribble like a magician but isn't very tall would not be a good post person. You know, he's got to be somebody else who distributes the ball kind of thing. Uh, so when you think of the church like that, it's exciting because we get to actually contribute to the ongoing good 
of our local church and the body of Christ. And so Ephesians 4 seems to be emphasizing rather than going out into the world and dragging people to church, when we gather, we're to be edifying each other and glorifying God so we can actually have a credible life experience to, to live in the real world and impact people that way primarily, right? So purpose, objectives, and goals are functions, really. But I remember the first time I really, the light came on for me when it was at Dallas Seminary, thinking about Acts 2.42. And if you look at Acts chapter 2 for a minute, um, you know, several years ago, we had the never-ending march through the book of Acts, which only took about 18 years to get through. But man, it was fun. I loved it. But it took us a little while. So I've been avoiding long ones for a while, because I know some of you are still shell-shocked about, uh, about that. But, uh, and then uh, Eric, Eric was asking me the other day if I'd ever taught through Job. And I thought, you know, I've summarized Job in one message, but I've, you know, I've never had the courage to work through it, because if I start working through it, it'll take us 18 years, and, you know, I'm probably going to have to quit at some point before 18 years from now. So, you know, I'd hate to leave you in the middle of Job, you know, not knowing how it works out. So uh, that's that's a long one. And and there's there's some real value, but I think you have to do more synthesis than I'm, I usually do to go through a book like that uh, for sure. But, yeah, Acts 2.42 is such an amazing statement. It's amazing how few times I hear, especially these trendy preachers, ever talk about passages like this. They're talking about, you know, they're kind of motivational speakers and pop psychologists, and they don't tuck their shirts in, and everybody thinks it's really a cool thing. Uh, but once the bullets start flying, where are you going to find those guys? <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to be a lot of fun anymore when they have 5,000 people telling me how great they are. That's just me. I don't know. Judge not, lest you be judged. Remember? Yeah, Brad, i got to remember that. Okay. Now, here's the thing. The context of verse 42 is really neat because this is just a, a, a few days, uh, 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, and you still got all the apostles, less Judas, replaced by Matthias, in Jerusalem with the great commission, Ken, still uh, ringing in their ears. I mean, these guys know what they're supposed to be doing. And so you ask yourself, you got 3,000 brand new believers, verse 41, you got 3,000 brand new believers. These Jewish people in Jerusalem have believed Jesus is the Messiah, have embraced him. They're now baby Christians. What's going to happen to them? What's the church going to do to them or for them? What is the function of the church for these people? Well, you read about it, verse 42. Uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles. You've got Peter, James, and John as your pastoral staff, you know. I mean, James is an all-star at that level, and, and then we got to limp through with me. But, I mean, you've got an all-star pastoral team. You can't do better than this. This is better than An- Andy Stanley, you know, or Chuck Swindoll even, you know. So they're continually building themselves to the apostles' teaching. We call that Bible study. To fellowship. And the word koinonia just means to share something together. And I, I define fellowship as uh, interaction between believers that's mutually edifying. Okay, so it can be in church or outside church. The crazy thing about this statement is this is happening. They're having fellowship hundreds of years before the invention of the coffee pot. And to me, that coffee pot is a lot like the jelly beans on my desk. That's not a coffee pot. Those aren't jelly beans. Those are ministry facilitators. You know, so I'm all for it. You know, and plus it has the advantage it keeps some of you people awake, and that's always a good thing. So I'm all for the coffee pot. It's an acquired taste I never acquired. I drink healthy stuff like Coke Zero, so so you'll know. Now, people can criticize people about that, and then you look at their lives, they're drinking something just as bad or worse, so, you know, everybody's drinking something. Um, Hopefully water, right? Uh, Continue to run themselves to the apostles' teaching, Bible study, fellowship, interaction with one another, the breaking of bread, that stands for the Lord's Supper, which is worship. We're going to do that, Lord willing, next Sunday. And to prayers, the Greek text is plural, meaning everybody's praying, not just that Peter's praying at the end of a service, and that's their prayer life. So you look at this. Uh, Sarah, you've got uh, 3,000 brand new believers. You've got the apostles running the church. This is the first local church. And they focus on four basic things. And, you know, it looked more like a spiritual Simmons Center than a religious Chuck E. Cheese, you know. But that doesn't necessarily draw a crowd, you know. Now, they had a crowd because these people were focused on the main thing. But in Bible study, God speaks to us. Uh, through fellowship, we commune with other believers, and we need one another, you know, because it's, it's not easy to live the Christian life sometimes. Uh, worship, we commune with God. And, boy, Katie, you know, Katie, uh, 
I don't want to praise anybody's performance, especially a young kid, because they're going to think it's just about you know showing off or performing. But man, she she spoke those words, man, from the heart, and she was so distinct in her. She really had thought through all that. It was. I'm glad that uh, Vivian and and Lincoln, who were actually in the process of wrestling with Pawpaw through most of it, I hopefully they got some of that. That wasn't easy, man. I feel like I've already worked out today. I don't need to worry about Seminary Center now. Uh, yeah, in in worship we commune with God. They don't act like that at home. Uh, some problem with four year olds is a lot of times you know they get tired and they start acting like four year olds, and on bad days they act like two year olds. And then prayers, we speak to God. And then you might say, any good Southern Baptist is going to say, where's evangelism? And you're right. You should wonder about that. We'll drop down to verse 47. So it turns out, Ephesians 4 seems to say, when you get together, the believers kind of edify one another and build each other up like spiritual summon center works out, working out. And then you go out in the world and you have credibility and consistency and you might actually impact your world as salt and light like Jesus talks about. But look, the evangelism, sure, people come, we'll share faith. Well, and Gene just kind of came in and said, I want to be saved, basically. And, you know, an hour later you were, you know, we gave you the, the lashing. I wasn't here, Tom O'Dell. But, you know, and the day we led, uh, had the privilege of leading Ken and uh, Rubanda, you know, to faith, they were just ready. They happened to be here, took them in the office, explained it, prayed with them. 30 minutes later, both, right, happened. So you, you can actually get saved in this church, but, <laughs> uh, I don't think that the apostles were primarily saying, bring your friends and we'll tell them how to be saved because we're the ones that know, you know. Uh, they're expecting Carol to live out her Christian life and impact people, not just because she's involved in Link One Mentoring and, and uh, other ministries they're doing, but just as a, as a growing, loving, wonderful Christian disciple person, you know. But watch what happens. You get Christians who get together and God's speaking to them through the Word and they're communing with one another and they're communing... Uh, with God collectively, and they're praying to God. Look what happens. They're praising God, having favor with people. They're hardworking. They're ha- hard to be at work. They show up on time. They earn their dollar. They're, you know, polite to people. They're not committing any felonies. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those were being saved because Jesus was le- leaning right over Jerusalem and just dropping people down. And, you know, now he's adding day by day because blacksmiths are living the faith and sharing the faith and using words when necessary to come. Communicate the faith. Now, I know this looks like, when you look at that for the first time, some of you have seen it 28 times, it kind of looks like that. You know, the Krebs cycle is very famous if you take biology. And I know this kind of freaks you out at first. You're saying, oh, my goodness, what's that? Well, this is a really crude schematic of kind of what we're talking about. What's our purpose? What's our one purpose? Make disciples of Jesus. Ephesians 4, let's edify when when the church is gathered so we can evangelize when the church is scattered and what are we going to focus on? The basics of Bible study, fellowship, worship, and live kind of a relational, credible uh, Christian life in the real world. So it's kind of a dynamic like that. But, uh, you know, when I showed that crude diagram to Bill Dickinson, who was kind of like, to me, the George Washington of TBF, and he was prone to hyperbole, and I loved him for it. He said, Brad, that's exactly what we were thinking when we started this church. And I said, well, why did you start without me then? I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, but they did. Now, where do I fit in uh, in the big picture <laughs> of all of this? Brad, we don't seem to think you do all that much. I mean, you only work one hour a week, right? Well, uh, I do a lot of things, you know, that aren't on the grid. But uh, to me, my number one job is uh, to really prayer and Bible study and teaching. That's, that's my number one job. Everything to me flows out of that. And so, you know, I'm kind of absorbed with that, and it's kind of my big deal. Uh, consistent with uh, statements like this, and if you can't find Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen, it's actually chiseled in the back of Pam's Bible, on the album, on, on the cover of the Bible. You look surprised, but she did that. No, she actually bought a Bible. You can she'll show it to you during the break. Uh, all Scripture, which means the Book of Job and the Book of Judges, as much as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, I say it's all inspired, it's all profitable, but some's more strategic. In my opinion, John 3.16 is more strategic at a gnomic level than a genealogy in Genesis 10. But when you realize genealogies are just literary, literary fast-forward mechanisms, you know, to get you from Noah to Abraham, then you realize, okay, there's a good reason for this to be here, even though it's not as 
may be scintillating as uh, John 3.16 is. All Scripture is inspired by God, theopneustos, and is profitable because it's inspired for teaching, uh, generally, for reproof. That's when you feel like I'm preaching, stepping on your toes. For correction, that's the positive statements that counter the negative statements. Uh, just generally for instruction in righteousness that the believer, put your name in the blank, okay? Danny Pollock or Steve Skinner uh, might be mature, thoroughly equipped for all kinds of good works, and the kind of good works he's supposed to do and he's supposed to do are probably different than the good works I'm supposed to do. But we need all those things working in and out of the church for us to be effective. Now, I know that expository teaching, which is at the very heart of who I am, uh, is not uh, the way of the world. But, you know, First Timothy says, do it in season and out of season when people understand it's important, even when they don't understand it's important. But I know Ron knows this number, but I hope most TBFers aren't just under the Word at church, but they're in the Word in their daily lives. They expose themselves to Scripture regularly. And if you're not, why don't you read the Bible ballistics column that Blanche cranks out several times a week? It's good stuff, man. There's so much good stuff out there you can use to catalyze uh, your input of the Word. So I'm hoping you're not just under me or James, but in the Word too. But... uh, Golly, Brad, why do you get up here and kind of have a spiritually dense content that goes 45 minutes or more uh, on Sunday mornings? Because that's what God called me to do, basically. But that sounds very self-righteous, doesn't it? But it's true. Uh, but here's the thing. If the only biblical input you get uh, as a TBFer is listening to me do my pulpit ministry on Sundays, and if it runs an hour, and a lot of times it runs shorter than that, but if it runs a full hour, you know what percentage of your week you're in and under the word. If that's the only biblical input you're getting, and I hope you get a lot more, take a guess. What do you think it is? That's 0.59%. Do you really think that's too much Bible? Is that too much Bible, Lori? 0.59% of your week? I don't think, and if anything, we're going to get in trouble at the judgment seat. Is why did you limit yourself just to 0.59? Now, well, I come on Wednesday nights too. Well, now you're up to 089 <laughs> You know, you need a lot more than just this, but uh, hopefully you can uh, tolerate it because, uh, you know, God didn't call me to prepare a spiritual junk food. I mean spiritual fast food, you know. This is more of a spiritual whole foods establishment than a have-it-your-way uh, McCheese establishment. And what is it when you, you know, I don't like anything on my hamburger but ketchup, and you know that, but I do like pancakes. So Wednesday night everybody's freaking out because I had pancakes, not a hot dog, but... Uh, now, I go through the, go through the drive-thru, I'll say, I want a Whopper plain, just the meat and the bun only. And they'll always come back and say, do you want cheese on that? It's like, cheese is just a given in the modern culture. This is one reason why I'm so fat, because we all just eat all this cheese. I just hate to bring up the source subject. Okay. Who are we? You ought to come to Pilates and burn some calories. But uh, who are we? Uh, actually, I've gained like 10 pounds in the last month. So I'm just, uh, depending on what happens Thursday, I'm going to start hitting it uh, hard after that. Uh, who are we? Uh, what are we doing? We talked about that. Now, how do we do what we're doing? Or how, at least how do we try? And we fail in many ways. And man, I, I look at stuff I try to do and it doesn't always work out right or nobody wants to do it or it blows up in my face. And so, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm a perfect uh, quarterback here, but who is? I mean, has anybody gone through an NFL season with a 100% completion rate? What did Daryl Royal say about why he didn't like to throw the football? Remember that famous statement, University of Texas coach? He said, I like to throw the football. Of course, he had like Earl Campbell to hand off to because there's only three things that can happen, and two of them are bad. <laughs> you can complete the pass. That's good. You can incomplete the pass, or you can throw an interception. He said, I don't like those odds. There's a two-third chance that something bad's going to happen. So it kind of depends on who's throwing it, right? But uh, how do we do what we're doing or try to do what we're doing? This goes back to St. Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine's in Florida. Augustine is the person, that's what the guys used to tell us. Uh, in the Essentials, unity. Christians in the local church and in the capital C church, in the Essentials, we ought to have unity. In the non-Essentials, we ought to enjoy our liberty. In all things, we ought to express charity, uh, which is the highest form, uh, which is an English attempt to express agape love, where we seek other people's highest good. And so for me, as TBFers, we'd say, well, that means in the essentials, what are the essentials? It's really important for us because we focus really on the essentials because we're multi-denominational in our background. I'd say, you know, in, in a sense, the essentials are the super seven, the terrific two. 
Now, we'll review that in a minute. You probably already know what I mean by that. In the nine essentials, we're supposed to have liberty. What's that? We just talked about that two weeks ago, you know. Within the frame of clear doctrinal and moral teaching of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. You've got the right to make your own choices, even if they differ than mine. And I'm going to be stricter than Scripture on some things, and or stricter than you are on some things, and I may be less strict than you on some things. And we answer to God on that as long as we're in the clear frame of Scripture. So, I think, I think we stress that maybe more here than some churches just because we, we, we have to have it to function at all as opposed to maybe if they say you, the only Bible we will use is the King James only, which you have a perfect right to have a church that is that specific. It becomes wrong when you vilify anybody who doesn't use that translation, and sometimes that happens, but sometimes they're just very happy and committed. That's the best English translation. They take that as a conviction. They really believe that, and that's awesome, you know? And if you believe that, your church ought to center on that. But, uh, I would I would just say a 400-year-old English translation isn't the only legitimate English translation. I mean, just I could say more, but uh, that's enough of that. Woof. I'm not sure what I did there. Okay. Well, yeah, so uh, the essentials in which we're supposed to have uh, unity, Super 7, Terrific 2. Super 7 is what we used last week in the week we looked at Islam, and we kind of compared these seven doctrinal areas to what, Jehovah's Witness and Mormons said last week and a couple weeks ago what Muslims say. So we'll review that quickly. And then the terrific two is love God and love other people within that frame. But here's what the super seven are. Uh, first, the first three talk about who God is generally, who Christ is specifically, and who we are. And who God is, he's real, he's personal, and he's true. That is, he's actually uh, correct, and he's Everything that actually exists goes back to him. He's triune, he's transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, just, righteous, sovereign, loving, immutable, veracity, eternal life. Come back some other time. We'll go into detail there. It's a great study. Who Christ is specifically? He's the second person of the Trinity who took on humanity without ceasing to be deity. One person with two natures, the God, man, Savior. Who are we? Are we all in the military? Well, we're all in God, God's army. Now, we have several veterans here. Homer was so good, he was in the Army in the Air Force. You've got to be good when two different you know, branches want you. My dad barely got in the Navy, you know, and the Army, if they'd known about my vision, they wouldn't even let me do ROTC. But I snuck my way into ROTC, and we had no terrorist attacks that year. So that was good. Yeah, so those are the first uh, three uh, areas of essential doctrinal truth. At the very center, I, I make it at the center and, and put it in yellow here because it's all about the gospel, the work of Christ, perfect righteous life, substitutionary atoning, sacrifice on the cross, literal bodily supernatural resurrection. Uh, there are churches that don't believe that nowadays. There are churches that, there are pastors that condemn what they call atonement theology. Uh, the guy who's kind of considered to be the leader of the emergent church uh, calls it cosmic child abuse, and he sells lots of books. It's, it's incredible, man. We're just we're just totally morphing the thing into behavior modification, no transformation, no regeneration. Who cares? You know, let's just uh, try to be nice people. Weird. Uh, what we must do: salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. What Christ will do: literal second advent and ultimately new new heaven, new earth. And then what the Bible is: the Word of God written. So that's that's. That's our doctrinal statement. We don't have a written doctrinal statement. That's our doctrinal statement. What do these people believe? That's what we believe. Uh, I'm, I believe in a, a pre-trib rapture, but that's not an essential. Okay, The essential about future things is literal second advent. If you want to be spiritual and right, you need to understand the church is going to end with a sudden, imminent rapture. The world goes into tribulation seven years, and then the second advent happens. But a lot of people in church history think the rapture passages and the second advent Passages are the th- same thing. We're talking about the same event. And at the end of a tumultuous time in human history, like now, uh, as Christ comes down, we're caught up with him and come right back down with him. So you can fit those passages together, uh, and many do. And when the rapture actually happens before the second coming, they'll realize how wrong they were. But I mean, you know, uh, but I think we've got to emphasize the main thing. And then, but I'm not going to, I'm going to preach my convictions, but I'm going to tell you where my convictions aren't absolutely essential. Because I don't want you going to college or somewhere and finding out there are people who love Jesus just as much as Pastor Brad or maybe more and don't believe in a preacher of rapture. It can be a shock to people if they don't know that, you know. And then they want to punt the whole thing. 
That's the super seven. The terrific two are, as Jesus said, the essence of scripture for believers is love the Lord and love others as yourself. But that's the effect of salvation. That's not the root salvation or the cause of it. So there's my attempt to put that as a graphic. The, the first command is a big umbrella that frees you up to love other people. It's not, they're not co-equal. One's the big one and one's the little one, but they're both important. Now talking about simple graphics again, uh, this goes back to uh, my attempt to put the relationship of saving faith and works. A lot of people want to overlap that now. A few people want to artificially separate them. They meet at a point in the tangent, but you're not giving anything to be saved. You're not, God doesn't need your help to save you or to keep you safe for that matter. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ's work. He did the work. We're the savees, not the saviors. And he's not just a helper, he's the savior. And then, you know, in addition to getting a get out of hell free card, which you do get, and he doesn't give it to you because you'd probably lose it. He puts it in a safe deposit box where you can't mess it up. Uh, he gives you a whole new capacity uh, to respond to him. And inevitably that does happen to some extent. Uh, if you plug into uh, a biblically balanced approach, a lot of good things can happen, even though you won't be everything to everybody every time because I've tried and it doesn't work. You know? So important. Talking about disclaimers here. Uh, TBF is not just about getting people to do religious activities, which is one reason we don't keep stats on anything, except I guess you count up how, how much money people give, right, Ron? We, we, we know that more or less in round numbers. But, uh, you know, I think if you work in a big uh, bureaucracy, and, and some of these denominations have done that, you know, uh, somebody at the home office wants to know how many people showed up and did this and jumped through this hoop. And so there can be good reasons to, to need the statistics. But, uh, one cool thing about a church like this, we don't need all that stuff. We can kind of, uh, what's the average attendance? I can't tell you. I, I know our attendance patterns. Here's what I know about our attendance patterns. There is no pattern. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have a full house or half. And I used to, some, some weeks when the, when the tide rolls, I do know the front end of spring break tends to be a bad week. So I will never bring in a guest speaker on that Sunday. I'd rather just deal with it myself. But I used to, you know, you, you have a, a good group one Sunday. And you know what? My, this is why I'm not rich and famous. I don't come here and look around and say, who's not here? Who's not here? They're on my bad list, you know. I'm just glad anybody cared enough to show up, and I'm going to give you the best I've got. And then, but once, but, but you know, sometimes you have a, a really nice group. Uh, this is always a nice group, you know. And when Steve and Kathy are here, yeah, it makes it special, you know. I actually prepared something this week for you. So, uh but, you know, some weeks you have a big group show up, and the next week is half that big. And I used to think as a young pastor, what did I say last week? I better, I better cut that Ephesians 2 thing out. I can't mention that anymore. People don't like that. I don't think like that, of course. But you think it's something I did, you know. And then you realize it's not necessarily something you did. There's a you know, flu epidemic, and half the church is sick, and half of the people who came have flu, and I'm going to have flu that next week because I came to church. I should have stayed home, you know. Uh, but we're not really about people just doing religious activities. We're more about the work of God becoming active in people. On the other hand, if we task Gene with, uh, we want you to oversee and recruit teachers for Sunday first hour, second hour, uh, junior church, and Wednesday night, and she can see down the road there's a big opening because people who've taught for 15 years actually want to take a break for a few months, which is totally understandable. Uh, and plus the ones that moved to Boston can't, you know, they can't fly in every weekend and help you. So... Uh, She's occasionally going to kind of get, try to get your attention. And, you know, I don't beat the sheet, but I'm not opposed to nudging a little bit, you know, because I'm all for nudging. So that's what we do there. Okay, let's start winding it down. Uh, I like thinking of this as Team Tanglewood, and it's got the advantage of uh, having alliteration there. But I would just say, you know, for us to be our best this year, every year, uh, each of the players on, on the team – We've got to plug into the life of the church beyond a, ca- a, a casual level, you might say. So uh, let's let's not thinking about church like a religious consumer. I know a lot of churches structure that way, and a lot of people think that way. But being a religious consumer is not biblical discipleship, Sue. Sue's not just a religious consumer. You can go to churches with more bells and whistles than this one if you're a religious consumer. But people really serious about discipleship can fit into a church like this one. And there are a lot of disciples all over town. I get that. But, uh, you know, John Kennedy said something no president will ever say again in the history of the country, probably because you're unelectable, but at his first inaugural address, his inaugural address, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. 
I mean, nobody says that anymore, do they? Say, vote for me, I'll give you this, 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 and this. You know, it's kind of like Santa Claus. We're voting for Santa Claus now instead of a chief executive. Uh, somebody showed me this at Dallas Seminary. They said, no matter how big your church is, small, how good it is, how weak it is, you've always got a committed core that love the Lord and really love the church and really want that church to function well. And they buy into the philosophy and they're really trying to make it work with their time, talent, treasure. Then you've got a larger circle outside of that of uh, people who are convinced it's a legitimate church, but they kind of have a cafeteria-style involvement. You know, pick this, pick that. If it's not fun or quick or something they're interested in, they're probably not going to be there. And then you've got people on the far fringes that come and go, and they're kind of curious what's going on. And obviously, to me, I feel like uh, as elders, we want to kind of create an environment where that cores a bigger percentage of the whole all the time, because the bigger that is a percentage of the whole, the healthier your church is. Uh, I'm into church health and let God tell us about church growth, and then hopefully we won't be impressed with ourselves if we actually do grow at some point. But actually, uh, it's up to up to God, I think, to do that stuff as opposed to a lot of gimmicks and, and this and that. But uh, I would just say, you know, to be committed, which is where, to the church, uh, I think you need to know and embrace who we are, what we're doing, and how we do what we're doing. Now, I grew up in a church culture where every single Sunday in connection with the altar call, the pastor would say, he literally said uh, to people, he'd say, if you'll give God one-seventh of your time and one-tenth of your money, he will bless you. And I've told you this many times. As you know, a sixth-grade kid, I thought, that is a whale of a deal. I mean, I, I can do that. i got no money, and i got lots of time, and I love being in church. So, But he would literally say, that's a, basically saying, biblical discipleship is show up for church uh, on Sundays and give one-tenth of your money, and it's great. you know. And I thought, wow, that's, that's easy. I can do that. Uh, so... I think a lot of American Christians, maybe some of you, tend to think that your commitment to Christ has lived out when you show up to church and listen to me talk or James talk or Sonia sing. Uh, and all that is very pleasant, I'm sure, for you. But I really think a biblical conception, you know, if you want to, Jesus says to, he says to the apostles, he says, if you want to come after me as a disciple, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and keep on following me. You've got to publicly submit to my authority daily. So I would say that pie graph, I used to think they were pie charts until I had a textbook that says it's called a pie graph. Uh, and when I think of pie, it gets me distracted because I think of apple pie. And then, but uh, really, I think the Lord would say, now this is what I had in mind. When I'm talking about discipleship, I'm talking about a believer living like this, where I'm at the center of your pie graph when you come to church and as you interact with your family, as you go to work, and as you do your recreational things and uh, use your expendable time and money money and everything else you do, right? Now, another, I think, false uh, uh, paradigm that American Christians tend to believe is, and I, I, I learned this from Curtis Hale. He actually used this graphic version of it uh, when he spoke here several years ago. Now, he said too many American Christians kind of think that the local church is like a, and that's a, a religious as opposed to a spiritual cruise ship, and, of course, James and I are the recreation directors on the spiritual cruise ship, right? So keep everybody happy. Make sure they've got plenty of water or coffee in their cup and everybody's having a good time. And that's not really our job. But, you know, when you're on a cruise ship, and I'm all for cruises, you know, uh, and the church sent us on a on a one-way cruise to Alaska. They didn't think we'd get back. Now, it's, it's a wonderful cruise to Alaska several years ago. And I keep waiting every pastor appreciation day for another cruise. It never comes. But uh, now, don't, don't buy that. It's expensive. But... Uh, yeah, see, Debbie's not here, so I can get away with this stuff. She's, she's back in the back. Any, this is our, our pledge. Anytime we have four, we bring four grandkids, this is my personal pledge to you. Anytime we bring four kids to, grandkids to church, Debbie will take care of them in the nursery. So you don't have to worry about that, okay? We don't expect the nursery people to take care of those four. Uh, but yeah, when you're on a cruise ship, you're having a vacation, it's a holiday, it's all pleasure, it's voluntary, fun, 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 temporary, easy, no tasks. Is, this is why, why cruises are so fun, you know. You're a passive observer of the crew working to serve you, and that's why you're there, to be served, right? That's not what the local church is supposed to be. In the local church, you're on a mission. Uh, it is consistent with the Christian lifestyle you're living. It involves effort. You're under authority. It involves some dedication, sacrifice. It's challenging. There are definite, definite tasks and roles, and right now we're looking for teachers, right? First hour, second hour, or both? Both, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, active member. Am I reading that the way you wrote it? No. Yeah. No, I, I'm not, it's not as good as the way you wrote it. Uh, active member of the crew on board to serve. So I think that's a helpful paradigm. And I think some people uh, visit churches and they get very disappointed uh, the second time or third time when they realize first time you come, you're kind of a celebrity, you know, second time or whatever. But after that, you got to kind of, uh, what is it, fish or cut bait kind of thing. So I will finish with this. Hold your applause. You know, uh, if you love the Lord, you got to love the local church. And, you know, I've, just, I've always loved the local church. As a little kid, I loved local church when I was just a Bosley student going to dental school, didn't know I was going to be a minister. I loved the local church. I was a deacon in the local church. And my, my job as a deacon was to clean the church every Saturday, every Saturday. You know, I was the guy cleaning the church. Uh, and I was in dental school. I was taking like 55 semester hours of semester, and the only recreation I had was cleaning the church on Saturdays. And that was pretty much it. And I, I thought it was great. <laughs> Too dumb to know any different, you know. Uh, but you got to love the local church, even though it's not perfect because it's God's idea. And so James will tell you, you know, all the time I say about TBF, especially when something goofy happens, I would say, yeah, you got to love this thing. you got to love this thing, man. This is unique and special, and we got this one season of our life that may not be here next week. We gotta love it, you know? So I will end with three final reasons you gotta love TBF. Number one, the Bible is our middle name. Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. So that's good. We're not first church, but we're, we got Bible in the middle, right? Second reason you gotta love it is our youth minister has a book of the New Testament named after him. I mean, boom. James. And when we did James several years ago, I suggested the whole book is saying just actively maintain even steps in Christ. So that's pretty good. And then the final uh, reason you got to love TBF is our pastor for the last 28 years is and remains the real McCoy. Okay. Uh, Ron's a guy who's committed to Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. So as we kind of have reviewed our philosophy of ministry and saying, let's, say, let's, let's all recommit to this this year and really make it work well. Uh, pray for us in that direction, and then we'll have our short break, and then uh, we'll let uh, Sean and Angie, uh, maybe James, you can introduce them and get them started, but we'll let them share about the trip, okay?